If you're not getting educated about the current market conditions, whether you're in finance, mortgages, title, you're an attorney, or obviously a real estate professional, you're doing yourself and your client base a disservice. This is the Knowledge Brokers Podcast. I'm Tom Tool. We've got Byron Lazine, Lisa Chinati, the biggest two-faced bitch in real estate, is the new coin that uh, term that got coined uh, right before the show. No, here. she wanted the baddest. The baddest. Well, let's change it up. Uh, we got a lot to talk about this week. We've seen the the ten year come up a little bit after a favorable jobs report this morning. We saw mortgage rates come in. I was getting quoted low sixes yesterday, actually six percent on the dot for one buyer uh, buyer that locked in. And on top of that, we're questioning whether inventory's bottoming out, and we saw prices tick up a little bit. So, to me, the biggest news is this jobs report. So, the jobs report came out at eight thirty this morning. Well, Tom, I want to get to all of that, but the reason Lisa was the baddest two face <laughs> in the industry is because. We got to react to that Inman piece first, and then we'll get into everything that's gone on over the week because, you know, she gets, she's just like scapegoated out of this thing. You know, I'm, I'm the, I'm the bad guy and Lisa, you know, Lisa's uh, the golden child. So there, there's a piece in Inman this week that was written about Lisa and I, and I've got to, we've got to react to it. Okay. So Rachel Height wrote this article on Inman. It dropped today at 2 a.m. So we're, we're getting a lot of hot news here on Good Friday. And apparently there was a piece of content on The Real Word where Lisa filled in for Nicole White. And here's the quote from Rachel Height. I'm just going to read it and you guys can talk about it. What bothered me most out of all the responses was that a contributor, Byron Lazine, called me out by name on his weekly show, The Real Word. I enjoy his show. I've been following it for years. And for the most part, it's fun and informative. I was a little taken aback that he would use my article, which was written to call attention to a serious issue in our industry as an opportunity to write it off as a racket and that I was trying to be the most woke person in the room by writing it. His co-host, Lisa Chinati, seemed to get what I was talking about when she said she quit a brokerage that wanted her to wear skirts. That's what I'm talking about, Byron. The girls that get it, get it. And apparently this had to do with an article she wrote about people can't tell you what to wear in real estate. So let's hear your reaction, guys. Happy Friday. Yeah, this was an older show that, well, no, Lisa and I did the the show. And so I don't know what that was a month or two ago, maybe. that we. No, I think it was like in the fall. No, no, no. I don't think it was that long ago. It was this year because Nicole was out with her. Uh, you you were in this then... office, I remember from the thumbnail. So yeah, yeah. After the pipes burst. Anyways, her, her article, which was written, the original piece that she wrote, which was written uh, February 13th, 2023, just to go back a little bit. I'm a real estate agent. You can't tell me what to wear on the job. Uh, we need to have a deeper conversation around professional dress codes, diversity, and how the culture of work has changed for independent contractors. And so- I mean, on the second piece, um, she's, you know, kind of saying it's a much deeper issue and kind of pointing towards, you know, the whole woman thing. And so, you know, and, and she does write that in the first article. Women have been told since the beginning of the time our bodies are a problem and that it's safer for everyone else if we keep it covered when we are doing anything but bedroom activities. I don't know where she got that I thought skirts were... Or, or how I really took this out on, I remember in the real word saying, you know, I, I gave the example of the dude wearing the backwards hat going on the listing appointment. So, so I don't know how I'm all of a sudden the guy that hates women or something like that on here, because that certainly couldn't be further from the truth. And this is what, this is where, you know, and I said that on the show, you know, people write these articles trying to be the wokest person in the room, but by using words like, you know, how the work culture has changed. Listen, when 52% of people making a decision this year are boomers, the, the culture of how you present yourself on a listing appointment certainly hasn't changed that much. And walking into somebody's home professional, I, I've never advocated skirts. I, you know, I don't know where that came from, but um, I don't know if that's an assumption. And, you know, where Lisa gets to be, you know, the, the almighty Lisa Chinati, you know, nobody's going to say a bad thing about her. It, it has something That's to do with actual. It has something to do with the way I say things, like the tone in which I say it. People just naturally get a a, a knee jerk reaction sometimes to 
the the tone that I use. And so I, I stand by everything I said. I believe that people are getting a little bit too lackadaisical with the way that they are going to approach their dress code because it's their business. And if you don't like it, don't work with me attitude. When you got your real estate license to serve the community, you should take that into consideration. All communities are different, but Ryan, I mean, you just look at a guy like Ryan Serhan, he doesn't need to, you know, beg anybody for uh, listings at this point, And he still suits up. I don't think you need to suit up. I want to be very clear on that. I'm not advocating for suits. I don't wear a suit. I wouldn't wear a suit at this point in my career when I was 27 years old and I needed to age up and get on the level of a boomer and be the most professional version of myself. And I had no credibility and I had no book. I did suit up because I wanted to take any chance of, you know, losing that opportunity out of the equation. And I just think as new people come into the industry, giving this advice of like, if the client doesn't like it too bad for them, is going to be limiting their opportunities to help serve the, the community that they got a real estate license for. And, and I will reach out to Rachel on this because I think there's probably an opportunity for us to do a piece of content, maybe a little, uh, maybe a little BAM debate in the future. But I did have to, because it came out this week, I did have to react. And Lisa, I, you know, you're, you know, Lisa gets it. She's a real girl. So let, let's, uh, Let's get it from woman Lisa. What do you got for me, Lisa? <laughs> well, I, I think that there is a difference. Like what I will say is that I, I and I, I respect both of you immensely, right? But it is at upper levels. It is a male dominated industry, right? Like, yes. And I think that there is a that. difference between how men perceive things and how women perceive things. And I do think that at a certain level, women have, we fight a different kind of perception, right? And messaging is sometimes not necessarily what's said, but there's undertones to things when directed towards women. So I actually, I get it. I get both sides of this, right? Um, and kind of talking about the suit thing, it, the whole topic can be so heated. I've got young kids that come in thinking that they need to wear a suit and they just look ridiculous, right? Or the kid who comes in so wrinkled from top to bottom or the socks that don't match. And I, I don't think it's necessarily just, is it a suit or is it jeans or is it yoga pants? And fun fact, I put a sweater on the top, but I'm wearing my gym pants on the bottom uh, just for you, Byron, because I knew if I had on my sweats again today, I might hear some grief over it. Um, just kidding. But Lisa you know, has yoga I, pants with a skirt on top, so she can she can both and, and high bo heels, both I sides. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think Seven I own a pair of high heels. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that would be another broken arm. Um, but I, I do think you know I think it is different when you're a woman in the industry, and I think that I think that until you will love this expression. I think until you've walked in the shoes of a woman in the industry, I think it's tough to really kind of understand it and understand the balancing act to it. So. No, and I certainly and, never will. I, I'm a male. I don't, I don't plan on walking in the shoes of, of a woman. Uh, at oh, all. Maybe I'm, I'm going to send you some, I'll send you some. I, I'm going to, I'm going to remain a male. So <laughs> I, I agree. I'll never have experienced that. And, and there's, and I'm, and I, I, I just don't know, if I got taken out of context a little bit there in the sense that my conversation was not directed towards women. I think I use the example. I know I use the example of the dude yeah. wearing the hat backwards. So when I talk about dress, maybe in the future, I will only direct it towards the men because I guess that's all I can speak on. Even though I, I do know a lot of women I'm, you know, I'm raising two daughters. I, you know, I'm married to a woman to be very clear. nice girls, by the way, very well behaved children, way better than mine, Well, but I'm know, not a woman. I, I, so, well, but it's also, I think you are a hundred percent correct. I think, you know, one of the things about actually all three of us, and I know we've had this discussion offline, right, is I think that we're all very direct in our normal communication styles. And I think where Tom and I have kind of, and I've said this to you, Tom and I have found the balance with tempering it a little bit more in public. And you own you a hundred percent. I will own the two-faced aspect of it because the directness doesn't come through in the same way. I don't put quite the same, uh, well, you know, I don't, I don't know what the word is, but I don't put the same emphasis in the public persona. To, to be clear, the two-faced mean, you know, Lisa's a very 
kind, empathetic person. The two-faced <laughs> part meant that Lisa will put on a better PR face than I ever could. That's and what I do I just say that's what you're saying. And that that's that's the summary there. Like I tend to not have a filter when I say things. And so not that either one is, you know, I'm probably definitely, you know, Lisa and Tom coach me up on this all the time. Like, hey guy, you know, maybe you should say things with a little bit more PR. More people, you'll you'll appeal to more people. And so I don't know if I'll ever get there, but uh, I'm going to reach out to Rachel. I, to. I like the piece that she wrote, by the way. So I'm not, uh, you know, I love the piece. It's much better than the piece that, listen, Rachel writes some controversial pieces. I talk about them all the time. I talked about one of her other ones, spoke about it on The Real Word this week, the, this bare minimum Monday piece. So she's going to come after me again because I, t I didn't realize it was the same person, actually. <laughs> Um, bare minimum Mondays where you do the bare minimum on a Monday as an employee after you had Saturday and Sunday off. Don't get me started back on that whole thing, but we got a lot to cover this week. So we wanted to address that, but Tom, take us away on what happened this week. All right. You guys done back to knowledge broker. So should I give I'm the sure intro Lisa again? Take another shot at me, but all right. I'm done so, uh, all right. So let's talk about this jobs report. I think this is, you know, something that, that, that uh, a lot of people are waiting to see. And the jobs report came out 8.30 in the morning on Friday. And here are some of the highlights. Uh, the unemployment rate ticked lower to 3.5% amid an increase in labor force participation. And a lot of people thought the expectations were it would hold at 3.6%. Um, average hourly earnings rose 0.3%, pushing the 12-month increase to 4.2%, the lowest level since June 2021. So, this was kind of, I would say it was good news in the eyes of the Fed. Um, and we saw the 10-year move a little higher based on after this jobs report, even though yesterday we were seeing, um, I was get, again, I was getting rates quoted at 6% for people locking in. So that's that's one of the lowest rates we've seen in quite a while. So what do you guys think about this job report? Let's, let's start there, and then we can kind of get into inventory pricing, all those other things that, that, that we want to unpack this week as well. Well, two-faced ladies first. Go ahead. Go ahead, Lisa. <laughs> it seems like there's some bitterness. Is no, whatever. I just want to give I, you the I stage actually, first. It doesn't seem I like. I appreciate that. Exactly. Thank you. <laughs> I think it's actually, I think it was super positive. I think when you get super granular on it, that's where you start to see some of the kind of positive impact or kind of what we were hoping for, right? Like, Wage growth slowed. And then when you look at where the jobs were actually created, there were fewer than anticipated in the private sector, which is, I think, one of the bigger things to watch, um, just leading to what's actually happening in our local marketplaces, outside of government, outside of that kind of stuff, gives a bigger indication of how is sentiment feeling within, within business in general. So I actually, I, I think it'll be interesting I'm curious what you guys think will happen with rates based on this. Well, we're seeing that, you know, on a week that the 10 year went down all week. And to Tom's point, you had people locking in at 6% on the 30 year fixed. And I even, you know, heard some that were slightly under six, really good credit and, and depending on personal situation yep. for sure. But then all of a sudden the jobs report comes out Friday morning at 830 AM and you did see the 10 year pop back up. So you know, mm -hmm. it's, it seems like it's trending up because there's uncertainty on what, you know, Powell, how he's going to take this information. We weren't over expectations, which we, we don't want. He keeps saying that there's going to be more pain coming in the in the job market and that, you know, there's certainly a belief out there that that's going to make his job easier if more people lose jobs. He, he attacked housing, uh, the tech industry you know, went into a recession. Those are two industries, housing and tech, that went into a recession last year. And it's it's seemingly like jobs are going to be the next thing that hasn't happened yet. We have seen job openings go from 11 million down to under 10 million uh, for the first time since I believe 2021 that we dropped under 10 million job openings. So it is slowing, um, but it was still pretty strong. And unemployment came down from 3.6. It was at a low of 3.4 earlier in the year now at 3.5 i think you know rates so far are telling us that there might be a little bit of a, a bounce back up nothing significant but a little bit of a tick up and that's what we're seeing initially well i mean they they wanted to create 
Like they they wanted people to stop working. Like that that was what the Fed kept talking about, which was that they wanted to see that this number come down. And what uh, ZipRecruiter uh, chief economist Julia Pollock said is that everything's moving in the right direction, and she's never seen a report align with expectations as much as today's over the last two years. So I think the real question is: Is it going to continue? And you know, are we going to see this continue to go this way? And with you know, now that there's more and more data around the the, the recession is likely happening, um, it, it you know it it could lead hopefully to the Fed to stop raising rates. I mean that that's really I, I, that that's the end goal of this report in my view is that let's hope they just stop raising rates. Let's have them stop messing with this and let all their measures play out a little bit instead of the constant micromanagement. And if you look at the the one month net change of jobs, this, this is where it's pretty interesting. Retail and trade they were down. Um, construction, manufacturing, financial activities, they all saw decreases. And the places that saw increases were leisure and hospitality, healthcare and social assistance, government, you know, go figure, uh, professional and business services. So it, you're seeing some of these places that like retail trade, that tells me people are spending less money. They're being a little more conscious about what they're buying. And construction, obviously, we, we've talked about construction in, 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 at length on this. So we're, we're seeing that people are starting to seeing that job. I mean, that, that was the biggest decrease out of all the one month net changes in jobs that people are going to be a little more cognizant of their spending, which was one of the reasons why we got into this mess in the first place, because there was so much disposable income during the pandemic. People were spending all kinds of money. They're in a tough spot, the Fed, because it's hard to tell Americans that we have too many people working. It sounds counterintuitive to having Ridiculous. A, a robust economy and you know, I don't want to put Americans out of, out of job, but it does make the, you know, Federal Reserve's, you know, fight against inflation, getting it down to 2% that much easier if you have less people working. Now, we could get to a point here and we're, I think we're a month, maybe a month and a half away of a lot of this, you know, rent uh, data coming out of inflation. And there's some beliefs out there that when you pull, you know, rent and shelter out, this lagging data that, that's going to catch up by the end of May, when you pull it out, that inflation could drop significantly. And so if we can keep a strong job market up until the point where inflation drops, you know, closer to that 3% to near their targets, 2%, but closer to that target, you might be able to continue and move along here with a strong, strong job market without seeing mass layoffs. We, we've seen some layoffs, but without or with avoiding a massive amount of layoffs, that would be the hope. That's kind of the dream scenario if it goes if it plays out that way because the Fed is just not wavered off this two percent inflation target and the, I mean it's every meeting every comment they keep talking about it, which we under we understand it's a it's a, it's a prime goal of theirs. So if if it played out that way, I mean Byron, you should be taking Jerome Powell's job if you can make that happen. Yeah, I don't I don't know if it's going to be that easy for him. I'm it just that's the dream scenario. There's there are some real bulls on, you know, this disinflation and, and talking about like hey when you, the rent data comes out of it, when that drops down, you're going to see inflation get really close to, you know, that 2% under three anyways. They think we're, we're like heading in that direction. Then there's people that are obviously, you know, have a contrarian belief to that, but rents have, have rents dropped in Boston, Lisa? No, it's no. horrid. No. It, so they it, have in the South. Part... Okay. Yeah, no, we're not seeing it yet. We're still at crazy high. Our, our rental inventory, it, you have to, downtown Boston's a different beast than as you kind of go in the suburbs, but we're seeing a rental shortage, to, almost just as short as our purchase shortage. Okay, um, in, the, in, in the city, but what about if you go to some of those, you know, half hour outside of Boston, because you work all of those markets as well. If you go into the deeper suburbs, have you seen resistance on on the top end rent like that people can get? Is there resistance there? No, and that's my part of my point. It, we have slightly more vacancy in the city than we do in the suburbs. Okay. In the suburbs, we're still, and that's where the market is hottest, right? Is in the suburbs still over yeah. actual downtown Boston. But legit, if I opened up like some of the top suburbs that people want to rent in right now, I've got less than a dozen reasonable options for rent and MLS. Now, 
there's a whole bunch that's available where the landlords rent directly through places like Craigslist or apartments.com or whatever, right? But what we would typically see for rental inventory is, especially right now, we're very driven by our school years, both the college school year yeah. and the traditional school year. So we would expect to see those rental listings start to pop up as people prepare to move out at the end of June. So it's something that we're going to watch very closely over the next six to eight weeks to see what does actually pop up. And that'll give us a good indication for, for where the rental market's going. Well, it's funny. The government has this survey for tracking rents where they call people at their home, like, you know, on the telephone and ask them what their rent is, as opposed to like getting data from CoStar or apartments.com or from Zillow to track rents. And that's what's going into this inflation number, which, which is just crazy to me um, that that's what, that's what we'd be using here at this point in the game. I'd love to know. I'm curious if you're tracking rents in your market and you're listening right now, especially if you're on YouTube, just drop it into the comments. Is the rental mark, you know, is it, is it hotter than it was in 2022 for, for price point on rentals? Love to know from you in the comments. What, what is it like in the Philly area, Tom? As we close out quarter one and go into quarter two of 2023, it's been a wild ride. And if you want to stay ahead of the curve, make sure that your business lasts throughout 2023. As you see others regressing, make sure that you have the staff willing to support your dreams and your goals. It's why I use VirtuDesk to staff up our virtual assistants. Whether you're looking for an administrative marketing, prospecting, inside sales, or customer service assistant, or you just need that executive assistant, contact VirtuDesk today. Use the BAM code down below to get $250 off of your startup fee with VirtuDesk. Use the BAM code down below. Hire VirtuDesk to staff up your virtual assistant experience today. So I'd love to tell you I know all the data. So what I did is I went on rent.com and they give you some great data here, right? So um, in Philadelphia for a two bedroom, rental rates are up 7% year over year. Um, in Media, which is like one of the towns outside of Philadelphia, one of the places we sell a lot of real estate, the average two bedroom rental rate is up 20% year over year. And that's one of those like hot boroughs where you can get like the train into town and and, and those sort of like those sort of downtown areas. Um, Bala Kenwood, which is not far from where I live. I mean, the one bedroom rentals actually have jumped up, but the, uh, the two bedroom rentals have gone down. Um, so I mean, it, it's kind of, and, and th there's something I found pretty interesting is that we've seen a mass exodus from the city and they're renting in these higher end school districts right outside the city to get their kids in, enrolled. And that's been one of the challenges that we've seen in, in general. So, I mean, it looks like it's kind of all over the map, but I mean, Rental people finding rentals, they're having the same hard time that they are finding a uh, finding a house right now. I mean, that that's definitely clear. Housing does have a shortage and people they're, they're kind of settled in right now. And you figure most landlords, I mean, and this is this is more anecdotal than, than data based. They're they're not savvy enough to build in automatic rent increases every year into their leases. Mm -hmm. uh, most landlords, they kind of do the lease themselves. Maybe they hire a residential agent who doesn't specialize in this stuff. And they don't protect themselves that way. So how many times have you guys had a client where they're like, oh, the, the home's under rent, but we're going to sell it because they just never increase the rents. So why would these people move when if they want to move, it's going to cost them exponentially more. They've been in the property five, six, seven years. So they're, 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 they're almost treating it like a, like this is my housing payment and it's locked in and I'm not going to make waves to my landlord because so many landlords are afraid to have that one month of vacancy, which can cost you a lot of money. Do you think the agent out there should be, you know, you just mentioned there an agent that's a residential agent that maybe not as knowledgeable in the rental space. Do you think there should be two different positions or the same? Or do you think, or do you think it should be well-rounded and know the rental game if you're on the resale side of the market? No, it should be totally different. Like we are a sales team. Um, I have, I mean, this is uh, an interesting one. So, Anecdotal story. I was the subject of a four-year lawsuit because a someone who was moving to Lithuania to becoming a, a CTO wanted to rent out a single-family home. And I said, this is a horrible idea. Don't rent out your primary residence. It's like 3,000 square feet. And uh, the guy he rented it to had a criminal record. And it was disclosed. He had the emails about it. It's on his background check. And he proceeded to sue everyone involved, went through five different attorneys. And then it got in front of a judge here. And this is me, so I'm, I'm happy to share all this stuff. 
And the judge said, yeah, hey, uh, Mr. Real Estate Agent, you're right, but I don't have time for this. So go settle the case outside of court. And we are now like a national case study law where it's questionable to even require background checks. And all I can think of is the amount of time I had to deal with that. I probably could have sold 15, 20 more houses. So that's what happens when you get involved in something that's not your field of expertise. So how should an agent then, Lisa, who has a client who is like, you know, I, I'm probably going to want to buy, but I want to look at rentals. I want to look at both. If you're a, a for sale shop only, how does that agent navigate that experience of rentals and buying? You know, how, how do you go through that experience at the same time if they want if they want both ends? Yeah, I, I think it's really difficult, right? Uh, I wanted to go back to talking about capped rents and stuff. I don't know what it's like in your market, but there is a a big uh, debate going on in Boston right now where they're trying to bring rent control back, which will cap the year over year increases that landlords can charge. And it has mm -hmm. created some really heated arguments on both sides of the table um, with the impact that that could have to the city, right? And to the, the housing market in general. Curious whether that's something you guys are seeing in your markets or like Philly in particular. Is, is that something that exists there? Not right now. I mean, we've, uh, you know, there's a, there's a big mayoral election coming up and, they're, they're, mm -hmm. you know, Philadelphia's got, got too many people getting killed down here to worry about this stuff right now, to be very honest with you. So the DeSantis just signed a bill in, in Florida on, I'll, I'll actually have it up. So <laughs> of course you do. It was a well. He, he's the only governor that that did a, an affordable housing bill here recently. Florida's seven hundred and eleven million dollar affordable housing bill becomes law, and then it does talk about the the rent cap here. Uh, it's become one of the least affordable markets, obviously, with with everybody going in there. And let me find the. Well, so the, so you'd be allowed. Go. go ahead, Lisa. I was going to say the stats that just got passed, the councilors voted to pass it uh, 11 to 2, and it would allow year over re year over year rent hikes uh, to change in the consumer price index plus 6% or 10% at most, whichever of the two figures is lower. And so this would impact 56% of all of our rental units in Boston. And what that equates to is 185,000 units would be impacted by rent control. It's pretty big just in the city of Boston. Yeah, that's pretty big. And so DeSantis did the opposite. The DeSantis signed Bill 102, known as the Live Local Act on, on uh, Wednesday, days after the legislation passed in uh, Florida House of Representatives. In addition to setting aside funds for affordable housing, the law will supersede local government's zoning density and height requirements for affordable housing in areas zoned for commercial or mixed use development. It also strips local municipalities ability to enact rent control, which was previously only possible during a housing emergency. So uh, these local munis municipalities will not be able to enact rent control. So taking the opposite approach of Boston, I guess we'll get to see how both play out and, um, you know, who now, but at the same time he's doing that, he's providing $700 million, $700 million of funding for affordable housing, which, you know, creates incentives for these developers, but they've got to go up to 40% uh, of affordable housing for a period of at least 30 years to get right. access to this money. So he's trying, trying to provide more affordable housing at the same time of, and I, I did find that Redfin, you know, so Boston rents are up. Philly, they're up. The U.S. median asking price for rent, according to Redfin's data, is up just 1.7% from a year ago. So there's other parts of the country where it's down. And I know specifically in Florida, that's it's one of those areas. I could have gotten more for my personal residence on an annual rent last year than I could this year. It's not that much more. You know, It's not that big of a drop, but there is a drop. The, the median U.S. asking rent rose 1.7% year over year. Uh, to $1,937 in February, uh, the smallest increase in nearly two years, the lowest level in nearly a year. Uh, they were up 10 times that much a year earlier. They're up 16.5% a year earlier. So rent in appreciation is slowing down mm -hmm. significantly right now. And in the middle of last year, 
the median U.S. asking rent was actually over $2,000. It was 2053 and now we're at 19. So over the last six months, it's come down. Year over year, it's up 1.7. And th this is nationally. Um, yeah. So February was the ninth straight month in which rent growth slowed on a year over year basis. It actually fell 0.3% from a month earlier. And uh, and so they're, you're seeing pockets, I guess, certainly in the South and in the West where rent growth is either slowing or it's down altogether, which I guess as this data catches sense. up into inflation to like bring it all back, that's 30, 33% of the CPI is rent. So if rents are coming down, this number is going to drop real significantly in a hurry too. Once you, once you pull that data out, it's lagging, but it, but it's coming. Yeah. I don't know if inflation is, do you feel like inflation is that bad for most people in your community? I mean, Lisa's in a bougie community. Tom's more of in a meat and potato market. What, what do you think, Tom? Yeah, I mean, the, the you know, the, the biggest way people feel inflation is, is at the gas station. I mean, that that's number one. I mean, people see that number. They know what they're paying per gallon. Um, the, the, you know, gas prices have settled in a little bit. Um, you know, I mean, I hear people complain a lot that like, I mean, literally, you know, I'm at the grocery store the other day checking out and they're like, I don't know how you even afford a gallon of milk anymore. And these are comments I hear from people all the time. So right. and my yeah, wife says that about the grocery store for sure. Yeah. So I, I think people, people, I mean, it, I remember last year, 4th of July, it was like the price of like, like ground beef went up like 12% or something. So I think people are, are feeling it a little more than, than than you might realize, but I don't I don't know if they're feeling it as much as they were six months ago. I I, I mean it does feel like it's slowing down a little bit. That's the point. Yeah. Um, and now that especially like you're past the holiday season, I I, th I think that has a lot to do with it too because people spend so much in the month of November and December that we're into the part of the year now where it's I mean there, there's you know the, the holidays coming up or you know like weekends off and and that sort of stuff. It's nothing that 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 dramatic. So. Yeah, I, I hope inflation goes down. I mean, I don't think anyone wants to see inflation like we've seen it over the past couple of years because it, it, it obviously it, it affects a lot of people. And we talk about the communities we all serve. It's median price points. I mean, it's not, you know, all kidding aside about meat and potatoes or a bougie market. I mean, it's the the, the average sale price for most people is in that like four hundred thousand dollar range, like mid like mid low to mid fours. Right. And those people. The rule of thumb for getting a mortgage is you buy a home, it's going to be 4x your current income. So it's about someone making $100,000 a year. You got a family and you're making $100,000 a year. Inflation's going to sting you. I mean, you've got a lot of costs involved with kids and everything else going on. So I, I, I do feel like inflation's slowing. It's just more of a guess and just seeing it in the day to day because the data is so lagged and we all believe in lead indicators. It just doesn't exist for inflation. And we, all right, and we've also got inventory and and uh, price updates here for. Uh, oh, for we're the talking last about week. the holiday so we weekend, to that. right? So today's Good Friday, Easter weekend's coming up. We're coming off spring break, and Lisa has an interesting theory. I like this theory. Um, so uh, Logan Motoshami, he had uh, in his weekly housing market tracker. Um, he says, we, it doesn't look like inventory's bottomed quite yet. We had that little blip where it went up for slightly earlier in March. Now it's it's come down a little bit. And if you look at the seasonal inventory bottom, last year we saw it right around March 4th. Um, we don't have a weekly bottom yet in 2023. And in 2021, inventory bottomed on April 9th. And Lisa's theory is this has to do with when spring break and Easter hits. Um I'm clear April's going to be a very telling month. I, I don't know that you, we're going to see inventory go much lower here. I'm I actually I'm, I'm in line with Logan. I feel like we've we've got to hit a bottom here, whether it's you know last week or this week. Again, it's lag data. We don't get it in real time. I was looking at our MLS, Lisa. I know you did the same. We saw in, less new homes come to the market this week over the past seven days than the previous week, and then the week before that, we saw almost double what was coming on. So my my, my hope here is for all the home buyers and sellers out there. Because sellers got to buy, especially those boomers, that we're going to see inventory bottom and a big influx of new homes coming to the market. What's your what's your take on this? What what are you guys saying? Yeah, I I I when we kind of looked at the data and went back and looked at Easter spring break for most of our schools, I think that there's a a clear 
correlation, at least in my market, right? And I think in, in your guys's too, it's interesting. I, I question whether it's the perception of that, that that's the start of spring. And when people just have been historically programmed to think that that's the start of spring, also to the meat and potatoes aspect of things, right? I, we're not a bit, none of us are running vacation market uh, sales teams, right? So if you think about that meat and potatoes aspect, there's a lot that's tied to the school year. And when you back out the days on market with the time to get to the closing table and when you're actually moving out, people don't want to move out of their homes with two or three weeks left to the school year, right? Nope. And they don't want to move into new homes with two to three weeks left to the school year. So I think that there's some some definite timing issues related to that very big factor. If you overlay the data, if you're working out of the MLS and you overlay the data of the last 20 years, you will see a consistent trend, whether you're in that mm -hmm. vacation market or, you know, in a market that's more driven by, you know, families and schools of when the inventory comes on every single year in your market, when the majority of the sales happen in your market. And the national trend obviously is that this is the time of year between now and you know, middle of May that you're going to see, uh, you know, the biggest burst of under contracts, it's going to be these next 45 to 60 days for sure, nationally, but you may be to Lisa's point in a market where it's completely different, just because it's a vacation market, and, and you're going to want more inventory in the winter leading into, you know, like a Florida market, you're going to want more inventory coming in December, January 1st, when everybody's coming down which is January, February, and March, you're going to want that inventory up front. And so you're going to have a, a, a trend that's localized to you. Uh, you know, what's interesting though, Tom, we did find that number here. So the last year's the, the seasonal inventory bottom was actually on March 4th nationally. So it was much yeah. earlier yeah, last year. Was, yep. was, okay. You did say, okay. It was April 9th on 2021. And so we're, we're behind certainly last year's bottom we thought we might have saw the bottom a couple of weeks ago and then it, it went back the other direction um you know april 9th feels to me like right now right i mean that would be next week saying that we hit the bottom this week before before the holiday weekend yeah and that that, that could be what a lot of people are anticipating and you know the other factor too is i mean you look historically schools go so late anymore i mean schools don't get out to like june 18th i mean I, I you know i don't know about i feel like i'm dating myself here although i know we're all the, the same age i was out of school like the end of may so it, it does affect moving schedules for a lot of people because i mean just you know doing anything with children is a pain right Flor and, and, florida it's the end of may still okay well there, there you go uh but it, it's not up here and uh, so I, I can only speak to the market we we, we sell in so th there, there's these other factors here and I, I, the other thing to think about is that, I mean, there's been so much volatility in the market. I, I still there's there's still fear out there. And, and you can't dismiss that, that some people just don't know what to do. Or you have people locked in with these two and three and four rates. Now they're seeing some relief. I mean, going from a, a four to a six, if it's going to get you a bigger home, I think that's a little more of an easier sell than a four to a seven. Right. So. Hopefully, with some of this data coming out and interest rates coming down back to earth here since October, I mean, we were still over 7%. That wasn't even a month ago. I mean, that, we were at 7 and 8 a, a few weeks ago with rates. So they've come down substantially. So that should prompt people to maybe make a different decision here. And again, my, my hope is that we're going to see folks come to the market. We're going to see inventory bottom out because there, there's still a lot of intent in the marketplace. And there's people that are trading up and buying homes because they're, they, they need to move and their motivation is that strong. And that's going to happen no matter what market you see. So, uh, you know, a April was, I mean, this is game time in the Northeast, April, May, June, this is when you make your hay. So it's, it's, it, you got to have a really clear fourth quarter plan or excuse me, second quarter plan. If you're a real estate agent, this is when you're going to sell the majority of your real estate and you got to be ready to go. I mean, like we got a holiday weekend coming up. I would just, clear my calendar and be ready to work up until July 4th. If I was anyone in, in any, if I was a real estate agent right now, which I am, th this is go time. Yeah. The inventory bottom is coming, whether it's this week or next week, like it, let's, let's all be clear. It'll, it'll yes. definitely happen here. It happens every year. There's going to be an inventory bottom and we'll start going the other, other direction, how high that inventory actually gets this year. I, I, you know, I don't have much faith in that just based off of how many people are locked into 3% or lower. But have we hit the bottom? 
on prices. So Black Knight just came out this week and home prices rose for the first time in eight months. So February registered a 0.16% seasonally adjusted month over month national increase in prices. And it's the first we've seen in eight months since the Fed put housing into a recession. Is this the bottom? We had a long run for many years in this country of month over month over month home price appreciation. Are we about to get on another long run or is it going to be more like those years between 07 and 2012 where you'd have some drops for some months in price, then you'd have some gains, then you saw some drops again. You saw it kind of go back and forth for a number of years. Are we in that scenario or are we back on, we've seen the bottom and we're back on a long run? I'm guessing we're on a long run. I think the inventory is going to drive that. And I don't see inventory because of everything that we're talking about with the low interest rates and the volatility in there. I don't see inventory changing. And wait, I take that back. I I think go back to last week when we discussed the divide between the East and the West. And I think you have to look at each market differently. I think in the Northeast, I think we're on a we're in for a long run because of the inventory issue. I think yep. that may not be the case in some parts of the West where they've already seen decreasing prices. I think they could be in for the bumpiness of an up and down, up and down. Um, but I think in the Northeast, I think we're in for the up. And you know yeah, what? One I of like... the other. Oh, go. No. Oh, okay, fine. So the other thing I was going to say is tying back into affordable housing. I think one of the things that keeps smirking, I love it, um, that we have to watch as an industry, right, is that 10 years from now, I really think we're going to be in an affordable housing pinch. Because I think what we're going to see is all those folks in those starter homes with those 2 and 3% interest rates, they're going to add additions. They're going to finish basements and attics. They're going to over-improve. And what had started as entry-level affordable housing for our first-time buyers is going to disappear. And I think we've got to be very, very cognizant of that as an industry, or we're going to have a big problem as a society. Yeah, the addition game for general contractors is, is going to be mm-hmm. very lucrative. So I, I look at this very similarly to the uh, 2008 depression where, you know, there was the Northeast was, uh, you know, held held stronger than some of these other markets. I mean, specifically California, Texas, Nevada, Florida. And that's what we're seeing. And, and Redfin hit on this last week. Tech hubs and COVID hotspots, they're seeing prices come down a bit more because it, they don't have the industry or the jobs markets to sustain people living there year round. I mean, you're moving to Aspen, Colorado, unless you're a ski instructor or something like that. I mean, you, you know, it's hard to have a viable business where you're going to typically raise a family. And yeah. that's the, that, and that's the people that are going to pinch right now more than anyone else. Um, I do agree about the, the addition game. I mean, if you want to, you know, it, it's, contractors are one of the, the worst business, wor- most poorly run businesses in the country. They don't call you back. They don't do stuff on time. I was down in Bonita Springs, saw Byron over the weekend, and they're dealing with massive contractor issues because of the hurricane that hit. And these people just don't show up. They they don't do any. If you were just a reliable contractor that returns calls and shows up when you say you will, you could be in for a major boom in your business if over you the next 10 workers, to 20 years. Yeah. Well, if you can find the work, you, you got to run it. I mean, it's no different than running a real estate team. If you find people that are ready to work, you can do really great. It's the ones that don't want to work and are waiting for the, the business to fall in their lap. It's going to be a problem. So, you know, there, there's our and that's that's always been an issue. I mean, how many times do you get asked by clients? Hey, do you have a reliable contractor? Do you have someone that knows how to show up? And then you got to pay these people well, too. And that's the other issue with contractors. So to find the workers and the subs and everyone else they need to do to, to follow through on things. So, uh I think we're on a long run here as well. I mean, it's just it's going to be more of a normal run, like two percent a year, three percent a year appreciation, which is is very normal. So in in two thousand and six, we saw and uh, Haley, you can put this table up. It's from the year two thousand to two thousand twenty-two. It's from Fortune. Uh, two thousand and six, we had four months with declining home prices. In two thousand and seven, we saw eight. In two thousand eight, every single month was in the red. 2009, uh, only three months actually went up, but there were these pockets, June, July in 2009, where you had a monthly price gain nationally, and then November. Uh, 2010, you saw 
three months that didn't go down. One was at 0% and then March and April actually went up. 2011, when we had that second drop, do you guys remember we had the second mm -hmm. basically bottoming out? All of 2011 was down and then into 2012. And then from March of 2012, all the way until June of 2022. So for 10 years in this country, we saw national home prices increase every single month. There wasn't one month where nationally we didn't see an increase. And then to finish out the year last year, we had those six months of declines uh, to start this year. We had another two. And then, you know, for the first time, really, we had seven straight because this is talking about February. So for the first time in eight months, we saw a price increase. I think through the seasonal market of spring, we're going to see these month-over-month uh, -month numbers continue to come in uh, as, you know, net for national numbers, home prices increase. It may be different in your market. And I would just say, I, th I agree with you know, Lisa's point overall that we're in for a long run. When you look back in five years, you're going to have the majority of months are going to be up. I think quarter four of this year at the very end and maybe the beginning of quarter one next year, you might see a couple months where you see this decline. I think 2004 is going to be though off the And when you look at 2004, 2020, I mean, 2024, 2025, 2026, because of what both Lisa and Tom just said with the inventory issues, you're going to see extended periods of home price growth, but we may be in for a couple of months where they drop down. There's not a, you know, like on this table, there's not a 2007 to 2011 cliff coming uh, by any, by any stretch of the imagination. So we, 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 we think we're going to be a long run in the Northeast here, but you know, we're, we're hoping inventory bottoms out. We've got, you know, the 10 year making some moves after this jobs report. As we kind of wrap up here, uh, are we going to see a strong spring market or is there going to be more of this like wonky week by week volatility? That we've, I mean, I feel like we've been dealing with this for since like September. And is there going to be any sort of momentum or flow to the next 90 days when it comes to the housing market? Can I say I think it's going to be both? <laughs> I think that there's going to be yeah. consistent volatility, right? And I think that some of it will ease, but I think until the until the rates get some consistency, and I don't think any of us can predict that, I think that we're going to be at the whim of some of that. We need consistency and stability within rates to create consistency and stability within the market as a whole. You grimaced. You disagree. Who was grimacing? Tommy Tool. Yeah, I thought so. I, this Go this ahead, is my Tommy. face. That's just um, his... so. <laughs> He only no, has one I, face. Unfortunately, that's the one he has. Yeah, that's it. You I know, mean, if he was only a get woman, one. they'd tell him he'd have like RBF. Like if I walked around with his face, they'd be like, dude, the, the RBF is on point or like off the hook or whatever. But he's a dude. Here here we go. Back to the like gender bias. Instead, we just say, oh, well, right. that's not how we're ending the show. So I I, I, I like I like what you're talking about here, Lisa. This is the Knowledge Brokers podcast, not not uh not the walkthrough. So, if you were uh, a woman, would you want to walk around with Tom Tool's face? Yeah, I, I would hope not. I mean, you can ask my wife what it's like walking around with my face because she's I'm with her all the time. So, uh, so <laughs> I I I, I do agree with you, um, Lisa, that I think it's going to be kind of a week by week thing. So where I was going with this is for the knowledge broker out there that wants to have a strong spring market, because I am clear there this 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 market. I see career opportunities for real estate agents. I see a ton of opportunity to go do deals, help people, because the more volatile the market is, the more valuable a knowledge broker is in your corner, right? And, and like having someone that can help you navigate all this. So what should the agents that want to have a uber successful 2023 Q2, what should they be doing right now? And how can they continue to get the word out that there's still opportunities in the marketplace, because we all know there are, but a lot of people aren't feeling that way. The market's full of fear right now, just like we led the show off with before our uh, gender tangent, like, should, thanks to uh, Byron. Here's what you should do. If you're in a traditional <laughs> office, you should walk into your office and do the opposite of what every individual or the majority of those agents are doing. The majority of them, it's very quiet. It, when you walk into these real estate offices, you can hear a pin drop. And so you should be the loudest person in your office. You should be doing the opposite 
of what they're doing, which is sitting behind the screen, hoping and wishing and chatting through messenger. And you should be on the phone, just literally reaching out to people and talking about the volatility in the market. Here's the volatility in the real estate market. And most agents right now are not calling their clients. Notice I said their clients. If it's a past client, reference them as a current client. I treat yep. you as someone who is going to be a client for now and forever. And I'm doing the opposite. Literally just say that. Hey, I'm doing the opposite of what everybody else is doing in a volatile market. And I'm reaching out to you. And you just start the conversation. You, you told them the, the market's volatile. You told them nobody's calling their clients. I'm calling you and want to be a resource here for you. And you see where they take the conversation. Well, I appreciate the call, Tom, but you know, we bought the house two years ago. We're, you know, we love our interest rate. We love you. Great. Well, you know, what are some of your neighbors saying? You know, you know, what, what's your, Hey, listen, we're looking at, you know, what's going on in the economy. How are you feeling about our local economy right now? Well, you know, what, what are you hearing? Uh, because all this information helps me be a better professional and you you unlock conversation after conversation, after conversation, you'll put some data together on who's selling and who's buying and who you can serve in your community. So do the opposite of what everybody else is leaning into, which is, you know, feeling safe and not getting out there and, and talking to people because they're uncertain of what to, uh, of what to say. You don't even have to be certain, just have the conversation at the very least. Agreed. Well, I, I, that, you're, you're right on about like the, the people. First thing like, should agree with me on there. I don't know. Was that a little too aggressive? I, somebody write a hit piece on Lisa that she agreed with, with my uh, aggressive tone on calls. You've got to be aggressive in the business right now. You know, no one likes an aggressive agent until they have one. I learned that very early. I've, I'll say that to people. They're like, oh, Byron or Lisa, you're so aggressive with your follow-up. Hey, you know what? You're right. Because you need an aggressive agent in this market. Nobody likes that until they have one that's going to go get you what you want. And you want to find a great new home, right? You want to get your home sold for the max price, right? So I love that advice because so many agents are so timid right now that being the loudest person at the office, we've got a guy here. We've actually gotten complaints from other team members that he's too loud and he's selling a shit ton of houses. So I, I'm like, yeah, I, I love it when you're, you know, it's like that's, it's funny how that plays out because. People are afraid to be the ones that are going out and charging the storm. So couldn't agree with you more. Love that. Great way to end the show here. Love it. All right. I, I love uh, Tom. I love you, Lisa. I love one of your faces. The, yeah, the right the side, or the left? The, the side face. I don't know. Uh, the right. I like the right. Uh, appreciate you guys. Thanks for all the help this week. It's been a rough week for me been a rough week for a lot of people in the market and so uh get get some knowledge brokers on your side that's that's how you're going to stay ahead always